how are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are you moving? What kind of mindfulness, kind of mental health, all those different areas play a role and actually do have a big impact into our pelvic floor health. Welcome to How Do You Feel, a podcast with info and inspo to help you tune in to your fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I'm your host, Casey Zavaleta, and together we'll explore how we can optimize our physical and mental health so that we radiate positivity and happiness from the inside out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to How Do You Feel? I'm not going to lie, last week was kind of a weird week. Eric finally left for his tournament. He is participating in an MLS's back tournament down in Orlando. So they've got all of the MLS teams down in Orlando, quarantined together in a bubble at various resorts at Disney World. And he left on Monday. Before he left, we spent every single day of the previous four months together. Yes, even though he would say that it felt like I was constantly busy with work, we still were in each other's presence in the same place for four months straight. And then on Monday he left and we don't know how long he'll be gone. It's at least three weeks and then depending on how Toronto FC does in the tournament, it could be up to five. I remember back when we were in university and we were in a long distance relationship, how it used to feel when I said bye to him. Immediately upon saying bye, it would always be tearful, but immediately I would get this like really deep, nauseous feeling in my stomach and I would just feel a little bit anxious. I think it was kind of separation anxiety. I haven't felt that feeling in so long. Like, It comes with the territory that with Eric's job, they're constantly traveling for games. They travel for preseason. Like, this has been a very normal part of the last six years of our relationship. But this time when he left, I felt that feeling again. It was the craziest thing. And I think it's just the product of we got so used to spending a lot of time together and that quality time. And I think it feels a little bit like When he left, it felt like the end of an era together. It felt like the end of something that we'll never get back. Like COVID was hard, I know, for so many people. And I'm so grateful that in my personal life, it it did bring so many good things. And I'm not diminishing the struggles that other people have gone through during this crazy time. But it felt like I was saying goodbye to that, goodbye to a span of time that We'll never get back in the same way. So I've definitely felt the effects of that all week. And, you know, I don't think I've talked about this on the podcast, but there was a span of time in my life when I definitely struggled with anxiety and some mental health issues. And I haven't felt those things in so long. But this week, a little bit of that anxiety returned. That low-level feeling of just constantly being a little bit sick to your stomach, a little bit worked up about things. Like I was second guessing things that I don't normally second guess, like interactions with people, what people are thinking about me. A lot of confidence issues also came back 
this week and I think it was just coupled with that anxiety. It's just so crazy like the snowball effect that happens when mentally there's something going on and when mentally you're not feeling great. And I'm going to be completely honest, I feel like I have so many strategies in my life for how to deal with stress and anxiety and when I'm not feeling good and I I normally just know what to do. Like I know that I need to sleep and I need to move and what I need to eat and you know, how I need to take care of my mind and separate from my devices and like all of this stuff. Like I've spent so much time working up all of these strategies, but this week they didn't work. Like sometimes it just, you can do all the things right and it just still doesn't work. And, you know, I spent a lot of time this week kind of trying to just return to my breath and be with my thoughts and be really reflective about what was going on, the, the feelings that I was having, the thoughts that I was having, and how they were manifesting in behaviors. And I think it was good. I think, you know, I didn't, I didn't let it become something bigger than it was, but it was still challenging. It was a really challenging week. I'm very grateful because I had the chance to spend the last 24 hours away from the city, out at a cottage on the water and although my skin is absolutely fried because I didn't realize or I forgot how burnt you can get when it's a little bit overcast but besides that like I'm feeling good I'm feeling less stressed I haven't had that feeling of anxiety all day today which I think is a good sign I don't know. I don't really know exactly what my point is in sharing this with you guys, except to say that, you know, we're not, we don't always just feel good. And sometimes even the things that are supposed to work, like life situations, sometimes are just bigger than them and that's going to happen. And we have to be easy on ourselves when that's the case. And I'm trying really hard not to be down on myself about how hard of a week I had. And I don't think it's totally about Eric leaving. It's not like I'm sitting at home all day, every day, like thinking about him and missing him. Like, yes, I am missing him. But I think there was just that initial bout of anxiety that happened when he left. Like I felt the effects of that separation immediately. And then the sense that I have is that because I was feeling that way, it then led into 10 other things that contributed to to the anxiety. So when I say that these things snowball, they really do. Like these things all add up on top of each other. When I was feeling the anxiety after he left and then I had a challenging interaction with a friend, all of a sudden I was way less able to handle that challenging interaction with a friend because... I had the anxiety already, right? So I I second-guessed everything that I said and did. And then in second-guessing all of those things, I felt worse about the interaction because I wasn't sure what my stance was or what it should be. So I'm rambling a little bit, I realize that, but I just wanted to share with you guys how I've been feeling the last week and just re-emphasize that there will always be ebbs and flows in your mental health, in your physical health, and 
that's just part of life. And we have to remember that and accept that and not get so down on ourselves when things don't go as well as maybe they have been in the recent past. Anyways, enough about me. Let's talk about the podcast episode that I have for you guys this week. This week, I talked to Leah Damata. She is a pelvic floor physiotherapist with a special interest in pregnancy and pediatrics. Leah's worked in a variety of pediatric settings, including McMaster Children's Hospital and Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital. She also works at The Womb, which focuses specifically on pre- and postnatal care. Leah's areas of focus in pelvic floor dysfunction include urinary incontinence, complex pelvic pain, sexual pain, gastrointestinal disorders, pelvic organ prolapse, and perinatal care. Most importantly, and something that I appreciate about Leah so much, is that she is committed to empowering her patients on their active recovery to improve their health, well-being, and quality of life. I loved talking to Leah because she really normalized the conversation around pelvic floor health. She cleared up a lot of common misconceptions that exist when it comes to this field, and she talked us through some of the biggest concerns that arise when we think about seeing pelvic floor physiotherapists. So this was an awesome, candid conversation that I enjoyed so much. I think that this is an area of health that, especially as women, but for all humans, we need to learn more about because it affects everything from our intrinsic core to our breath, to our bladder function and health. So it really is such an integral part of our well-being. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this episode. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Leah Damata. Hi, Leah. Welcome to the How Do You Feel podcast. I'm really excited to get to talk to you today. Hi, I'm really happy to be on your podcast, Casey. This is a really important topic that I definitely know that I need to learn more about. So I think this is going to be really helpful for me too. I basically just have a ton of burning questions that I want to know for myself. And I know that I've heard from the listeners as well, that this is definitely a topic that people are eager to learn more about. So this should be awesome. I'm very excited and I'm ready to answer the questions. No (laughs) weird question. I find people come like, I don't know if this is okay. And I'm like, no, I answer all of those questions that you don't want to ask anyone else. Right. In such an intimate area and like things that people generally don't talk about that makes total sense. Leah, how do you feel about Kegels? Because Kegels Mm -hmm. are like the one thing, the one exercise that feels (laughs) so mainstream in this area that everyone knows about. How do you feel about them? Um, It's a great question and I get it often. So Kegels actually originated from Dr. Kegel from the 1940s. So it's way back in time. And I mean, it has the right idea of a way of strengthening the pelvic floor. Um, But to be honest, I don't actually like that word Kegel because there's so much more to it than just strengthening the pelvic floor. And so what I like to use is a term called pelvic floor muscle training. Mm -hmm. And so what that involves is actually looking at the muscle through its full range. So just like any other muscle, so for example, let's take our bicep. A bicep does 
a full lengthening position and it does a full contraction. And so when we look at our pelvic floor muscles, which is a lot of them, it's the same idea in which they lengthen to relax and they squeeze and lift to contract. So it's not just a squeeze part either, it's actually a lift. That is a great And point. so it's learning... I find a lot of times women will come to me and be like, oh, I've been doing Kegels and it's not working. And there's a lot to it. It's not just that squeeze. It's both the relaxing and the contraction phase. And it's not a one size fits all. So Kegels isn't for everyone. And for some, it can actually make things worse. And we can talk about that more. Um, but the idea is that we need to know when do we apply that. And so pelvic floor muscle training is really an umbrella term that encompasses everything. And then using the biofeedback of digital palpation. So with pelvic floor we use our finger to teach, hey, am I contracting my pelvic floor or am I using my glutes and my adductor or my inner thigh muscles? Because there's a lot of ways we can also compensate. So there's a lot to it. Yeah, that makes sense. I've never thought about it that way, that it applies to the pelvic floor as well, where there's a full range of motion that the muscle can go through. But of course, that makes total sense with any of our contractile muscles that that's the case. Let's talk about who shouldn't be doing them since we know that a Kegel is just the shortening portion of a rep, mm -hmm. if you will, I guess. Who should not be doing something like a Kegel? Good question. And I would say on average, it's maybe about half of the people that I see. So mm -hmm. it's a good sense that, you know, it really does depend and it's not necessarily what's right for you. It's great to see someone first just to make sure. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it comes down too is what is the resting pelvic floor at? Is there tension in the pelvic floor in which the muscles are in a state of contraction or are they in a state where they're relaxed? And so when we think about issues that come from an overactive or a tense pelvic floor area, we look at things like an overactive bladder. And so signs that that might be the case is when you feel like you need to go to the washroom very frequent in a day. So normally what we consider normal is going eight to times per day. So anything more than that would be increased frequency, as well as the urge component. So sometimes I have, and it actually happens with the younger population more than the older women. Um, so a lot of people around our ages who I tend to see coming in with this is where you'll kind of pull into your car in the driveway and you're suddenly like, oh my God, I need to go to the washroom. Or you grab your keys and then that just triggers you. And so there's different triggers, which can lead to that urgency. And then on that spectrum, it can actually go to urge incontinence in which you kind of start to see some leakage with that. Mm -hmm. And so that falls under that umbrella of which the tight pelvic floor muscles. Another common area that kind of falls within that as well is pain with intercourse and very common as well. And it's one of those things that's super hush hush and nobody wants to talk about, but in reality, it's super common. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's there's some past history or whether it's the first time and things aren't going well, or you've just had a baby and things are just like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm ready to do this. Um, and there's been tearing. So lots of different reasons as to why it can be painful during intercourse um, but it's another example in which really it comes back to those muscles being in that contracted position and when it comes to that from a pelvic floor standpoint it's actually learning to relax that pelvic floor and so learning to do what I guess you could call our reverse kegels mm -hmm. and really learning to lengthen that pelvic floor as opposed to contracting it because again if we go back to that bicep 
if our biceps kind of stuck here, well, then we can only really contract that little bit and it's not functional, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we take it out to that full range of motion and that flexibility, well, then you can use that bicep and do so much more with it. And so that theory and that process really works with everything, including the pelvic floor. Yeah, makes total sense. What you're referring to is having that optimal length tension relationship within the muscle in order for it to work optimally, which it makes total sense that it applies to the pelvic floor as well. Very interesting that you're talking about seeing a trend with younger people and having too tight of a pelvic floor as opposed to a very weak or loose pelvic floor. Why do you think that is that you see the trend with younger people and having this problem? Very good point. And um, it's interesting. And it's not just me, I think across the spectrum with everyone that I talk to my colleagues that generally the younger women tend to have more of those overactive type pelvic floors. And I think it just goes to kind of one, just our society and how we are at this age for the most part and how we're doing so much in a day and it's always go, go, go with our lifestyles mm-hmm. to, you know, being very active and at the gym and doing, let's say, CrossFit or doing those hit classes and circuits. And they're great, but a lot of times we're just over-recruiting those muscles down there and we kind of just like forget about it. We don't even realize that's a thing. And then it tends to be where they're coming during pregnancy and they're like, oh, I'm having issues. And it's like, we could have addressed this many years ago. So sometimes that's where it comes from. But I mean, you see all ends of the spectrum. It could be the other way around. But I do think it comes to just lifestyle and just not having a child. Once once you have a child, things change down there too. But with that said, I also see a percentage of women who've had a child. And because sometimes their birth can be a traumatic experience, they then actually also have a tight pelvic floor. So really sometimes just takes a threatening sensation or something that happened, a past experience. Our pelvis is our core and so we want to protect it. And so when we're scared or stressed or any tension, even with our day-to-day, what do we do? Well, we contract down there and we don't even realize it. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's even just starting with, okay, where am I? Okay. And how do I let go from that position? And so that also happens with my postpartum women as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Just creating an awareness, I think, of that part of of your body, which we aren't really taught to have an awareness of. Yet it's so like what you're saying, it's such an integral part of our movement, especially, and our workout. So I definitely want to touch on that. Because obviously, your pelvic floor is a part of your intrinsic core, right? It creates the floor of your intrinsic core. So It's definitely connected to doing these functional exercises in which you need to engage your core muscles. But one thing that I wanted to ask you about was if someone's doing an exercise like a squat, for example, I've had clients who have gone to pelvic floor physios, they've gotten different cues about what they should be thinking about when they're doing a squat. But how do you coach someone through a movement like that to properly engage their pelvic floor while doing it? So I'm going to take a step back and I'm just going to talk about that intrinsic inner core unit just for those listeners who might not know about that. And then I'll move forward because it's all building blocks and they all grow on each other. So when we talk about our inner core unit, we're talking about those muscles underneath that six pack rectus abdominis muscle. And so at the front, you have what's called your transverse abdominis. I call it like a corset muscle that that corsets the old women used to wear way back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, In the back, you have your multifidus. I call them your Christmas tree muscles. So they're segmental muscles that run up the vertebrae from the spine all the way up and down. 
um, at the top you have your diaphragm and your diaphragm is that breathing muscle which is why our breath work is so incredibly important for activating our pelvic floor and I'll talk about that more cool. in which when we inhale our diaphragm comes down and then we exhale our diaphragm comes up and then the last of the four is the pelvic floor muscle and so that runs from the pubic bone all the way the back to your tailbone and then on the sides it's kind of like a big sling in essence and it goes and attaches onto your sit bones i have a paper visual if you don't mind yeah definitely show it to you guys to see this a lot for my clients just to get a sense when we're going into doing any sort of assessment what is the pelvic floor and what it looks like so this to orient you guys is the pubic bone at the top and then that's your tailbone at the bottom and then the sides there are those sit bones so our ischial tuberosities where you feel that bony part on your bum and then so each color represents a different muscle and this is the external layer of your pelvic floor so it's the first one and it's actually on the outside so it's not even on the inside and this is the vaginal opening and then that down there is the rectal opening and then i'll flip it over to the other side and you can actually see the inside of the pelvic floor muscles and you can kind of just get an appreciation for how many muscles are actually in the pelvic floor there's a lot of them as you can see represented with each color and so this is what I mean when I talk about pelvic floor muscles. Cool. So we were talking about the diaphragm and how the diaphragm works in correlation with our pelvic floor. So all four of these muscles work synergistically. So they all work together, specifically with the breath that I briefly mentioned. So if we take back that diaphragm at the top, as we inhale, that diaphragm comes down. And then as you exhale, the diaphragm comes back up. Now let's add that pelvic floor in. So as you inhale, it comes down. And then as you exhale, it comes up. So mm -hmm. when we talk about coordinating our breath, on the inhale is when we're lengthening and relaxing the pelvic floor. And then when we're exhaling is when we're lifting and engaging the pelvic floor. So inhale to let go, exhale to engage. And I find sometimes... Not exactly. necessarily the intuitive way to do it, which is fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I get that so often where everyone's like, I thought it was the reverse. Mm -hmm. And then you get that paradoxal breathing, which isn't working properly. And then the core is not really communicating well. So sometimes it's even just starting with that, which really is that fundamental building block to then build up into those more functional exercises. And that coordination piece can take some time. It's not, like you said, intuitive. Um, so coordinating it with the breath is first and then we start to add different movement patterns with it while it maintaining that contraction so if we were to take it as you asked for that squat there's a couple things I want to mention before I walk through what a squat would look like and so for someone who comes to me who has no pelvic health issues so doesn't have incontinence doesn't have pressure or heaviness doesn't seem to have a whining of the linea alba and issue with their pressure system um, and everything feels fine, I would say you don't actually need to actively think about your pelvic floor. It naturally automatically is engaging and should be doing the work that it needs to. Mm -hmm. So this is more for the women who are finally starting to relearn and get their pelvic floors working and wasn't working how it's supposed to be. So relearning and teaching this process again. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like if, if you're not actually experiencing symptoms and problems as you listen today and you don't think, oh yeah, that's me. That's definitely something I struggle with. Then likely this isn't something that you need to be consciously worrying about as you're doing movements or doing your workouts. 
Yeah, and I mean, as we go, you'll start to see of things like, oh, I fall into that category. And it's kind of nice because a lot of what we do isn't really known, I find, to the public. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it's nice just to hear. But as I said, for the average person who has no symptoms or no issues, definitely just doing your squats with good form in other ways and just breathing through your movement, I would say is important. We want to make sure, and this is where it gets kind of um, into this tricky spot with this Valsalva maneuver. And when we talk more so with CrossFitters, they like to hold their breath when they're doing it to kind of increase that intra-abdominal pressure so they can lift heavier. And um, that's a whole other talk we can talk about. Um, so I'll leave it for now. And if you're interested, we can dive into that as well. Um, so if we're going into that squat, so there's two variations. I'll do the first one. And really, it just depends on if you've seen a pelvic floor physio, what they think is appropriate, because again, it just depends. Everyone's a little different and unique and how long you can also hold the contraction because there's the muscular strength and the muscular endurance as per any other muscle. Mm -hmm. And so the first one is as you inhale, you would do the squat down. And then as you are in the squat down position, you would exhale, lift and engage and then come up. So mm -hmm. that's the first variation. And there's a lot of cues, as you mentioned, to doing that pelvic floor contraction from thinking of like a flower blossoming when you relax and then picking up a blueberry, squeeze and lift, or sipping on a milkshake straw. There's so many <laughs> fun and different ones. Um, and everyone's different what works for them. And that's why it's so good to kind of see that pelvic physio to learn what works with you to, for that visualization because it is different for everyone. Mm -hmm. The other variation with the squat that you can do is where you would inhale to prepare in the standing position. You would then exhale, engage the pelvic floor and complete the entire squat through that movement pattern. And so that one also mm. works. It's a little bit more tricky because you have to maintain the exhale through the whole movement and also that pelvic floor contraction. So commonly I tend to do the first one, but it, there's no right or concrete wrong way. It's about learning different ways and what works for that person. And I think that's where a lot of public health is going now um, that, you know, there, there's not like safe exercises and not safe exercises when it comes to prolapse or diastasis and et cetera, et cetera. It's more about how can we find something that works for you and you can manage your pressure well. And when I'm talking about pressure, I just wanted to back up there too, because that's also another big building block in which we have what it's called our intra-abdominal pressure. And it's kind of like a canister in through this thoracic region. And it works in a way that when we inhale, as I mentioned, that diaphragm comes down. So you have increased pressure in through that intrathoracic region. And the same thing happens when you cough, when you laugh, when you sneeze, when you jump. Some women can manage that pressure well, and some can't. And so it's learning how can I activate the core in those different positions and different pressures. Makes sense, which is why some people leak when they do something like jump or laugh or they're yes. startled, right? Because that pressure increases. And then if their pelvic floor can't hold everything in the right spot, then that would cause the leak. Yeah, you got it. That's exactly it. So that's kind of the foundation of what's what that's called is stress urinary incontinence. And it comes down to not having the ability to manage the pressures. And it comes through that pelvic floor weakness, as well as sometimes changes that happen through our body throughout our lifespan and into menopause as well, with our ligaments and fascias and how our tissues are kind of holding and slinking up all our pelvic organs and through that region as well. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, that makes total sense. In general, what, who would you say should be going to a pelvic floor physio? How do you know if this is something that you should be doing? I think everyone should go once to see a pelvic <laughs> physio, to be completely honest. Like cool. I've seen, I've seen it for myself now two years ago when I first started learning about it. I'm like, oh my God, I totally need pelvic physio. And I had no idea. And so I think that's, it's just, that's one time where I like, nobody really knows until you go. And I get so many women that have been like, I'm supposed to come here, but I have no idea what you do. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. it, it, it ranges. So I see from kids and women through the lifespan and there is also male pelvic physio which we can speak on afterwards and really it's talking about anything to do with your bladder your bowel health any sort of pain that you may have so let's say chronic low back pain chronic hip pain that just doesn't seem to be going away because a lot of times it's actually the pelvic floor because those muscles attach onto um the hip. And there was a study actually done a few years back with some of my colleagues. And they said that, I can't remember the exact stats, or so don't quote me on it, but it was something like 80% of women who have low back pain have a pelvic floor dysfunction. Wow. So there's a really high correlation between the two. And so it's almost needed to be treated adjunctly at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, talking about pain, so there's definitely other areas of pain in the pelvic region. So whether that's in through the genital region, on the external area of, of the vaginal, the vulva area, pain with intercourse, as I mentioned, things like constipation, hemorrhoids. Then I, we go into things like birth prep, like how do I deliver a baby and optimize my pelvic floor health, which is yeah. almost like a proactive way of looking at it as opposed to, okay, I had a baby, I had tearing, I had these things happen. How do I recover and rehab? Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different things that we cover. And then another area that's maybe not as well known with women is actually also talking about when you're trying to get pregnant with fertility. Um, and sometimes when women are having difficulties, learning how to activate that pelvic floor and just wake up that area, like you said, that sometimes we don't even realize and get the circulation and things moving can also mm -hmm. help. And when I talk about pelvic floor and what we do, it's not just about getting those muscles firing. We also do a very holistic approach. So we look at things at what I call your five pillars of health because they're all related and they all come back to that pelvic floor. So things like, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are you moving? What kind of mindfulness, kind of mental health, all those different areas play a role and actually do have a big impact into our pelvic floor health. Mm -hmm. And so it's addressing all those pillars that play a big role in things like fertility or pain with sex. So those are kind of the things that we also do that sometimes people aren't really aware of. And once they come in, they realize. Yeah, I love that you're talking about all of those things. We can't look at these aspects of health. And, you know, I talk about like specific topics on the podcast, but we can't talk about these aspects of health in isolation. Our mind, our mentality around these things, first of all, plays such a massive role in how these issues manifest in our lives. And then also, yeah, exactly like you're talking about, these massive lifestyle habits, whether they're in place or not, they're going to affect everything. So I'm sure that you have patients or clients that come to you 
and they're looking for like band-aid fixes when if you have all of these other things that are out of place like there's only so much you could ever do in one isolated space right so yeah i, th I love that you just went there and, and zoomed out for us a little bit because it's great to hear you say that these things are all connected because i think it's just it's just the case across the board for sure yeah exactly and i find that light bulb moment when the cl our clients realize that they're like oh my god i got a good night's sleep and I woke up and I didn't have that same pelvic pain like I normally do. And so learning to build those connections and build on that, that's when you see the true magic. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, like you said, taking that step back and looking at the whole person because it's not just one part of the body. It's the whole person and also their personality and how that plays a role in their past experiences and beliefs. So it's really looking at just more than the muscles down there. Yeah, 100%. Very well said. For someone that is thinking about trying to get pregnant, and I ask this kind of be, kind of for myself, just because I don't have kids yet, but I know that at some point in the next couple of years that I will likely be trying to get yep. pregnant. So for someone that's thinking about that, what are these proactive things that people should be doing to get their body ready for that process to go as smoothly as it can? Great question. Um, and I work at the womb and the womb, we focus a lot on pregnancy and postpartum. So I do tend to see a lot of that. That is one of my specialties. Nice. And so generally we recommend women coming in their second trimester. So once they finish their first, just to do a check-in and be like, how are things going on on my pelvic floor? What do they feel like? Is there anything I should be doing at this point? And that can vary with each person. So some women, it's just learning how to get that core breath, that Kegel, like we say about that inhale to let go, exhale to contract, just to make sure the pelvic floor muscles are working. Sometimes I get women who are pregnant and have pelvic pain or pelvic girdle pain, a combination of a lot of different things, which that tends to lead into that pelvic floor tension and that tight pelvic floor muscles. And so at that point, it's doing the reverse and learning to let. And then as you kind of move along through the pregnancy, we help guide in regards to, let's say, just general physical activity, because as we know, we are still supposed to be getting 150 minutes of physical activity per week. And so how do you do that with a growing baby? And so learning modifications, making sure we still get some of those stretches in for those hips as well, learning how to just move your body without having those aches and pains that people think are normal, because there's ways to optimize and move without having all those pains that you can have. Um, and then um, as you move closer along through the pregnancy towards, the, we usually around 35 weeks, we do a lot about birth prep. And so when I talk about birth prep, we talk about, well, how do you breathe during labor? Like, what should we actually be doing? And what should my pelvic floor muscles be doing? And what positions? So when we talk about positions for labor, the best and optimal thing for our pelvic floor is having what's called a sacral free position. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that bone just below your spine, it's kind of that triangle bone, your sacrum, you actually want it free. So you don't want to be lying with what we see all the time on TV on your back with your, lead, your knees up on those stirrups. That is actually one of the worst positions and can lead to tearing. And there has been research to prove that it is correlated along with using an epidural that tends to lengthen the second stage of labor. Mm -hmm. And so being able to move through your labor is super important. So things like being on your hands and knees or lying on your side 
or being helps to lengthen those pelvic floor muscles. There's so many positions and ways to empower women through that process that is so important. And a lot of times I unfortunately get women after the fact who are like, I had no idea and I wish I knew this. And so it's about what do you have control over and giving that informed consent in the moment because things just escalate so fast and how do you create that supportive network and creating that birth plan with everyone within your team and so it's even just having more of those general conversations because a lot of times i am the first person to bring that up or if they have a midwife it would be them as well because we do get a lot of referrals from midwives they're awesome Yeah, I bet. It's so interesting. The whole process, the more I learn about it, I feel like women just aren't empowered with knowledge about what they should be thinking about, what they can prepare about, what they do have a say in during the process. Like it's just become this very medicalized Mm -hmm. procedural thing. And we kind of go in with our eyes closed, not knowing what to expect. And so I think it's so important to be having these conversations about what, what can you be doing? What can you be proactive about? And, you know, I just have this gut feeling that the more someone prepares, like if someone's coming to you before they give birth in order to help that process be better, their mindset going in is probably 1 million times better. Like even just having had thought about it and talked with a professional and put in a little bit of that work, like they probably feel so much better going into the process than someone who hasn't done any of it. I love that you mentioned that because literature corroborates and that's like the number one thing mm-hmm. with this fear tension cycle when it comes mm-hmm. to tearing actually in which women who know that and trust their body because they've seen clinicians, they know how their body works, they know what to do in the moment, they have that confidence. They're the ones that are going to be able to lengthen and relax the pelvic mm-hmm. floor and not feel that tension. Whereas women who are in the moment that are terrified, haven't really had that support, are so scared of what's happening and are kind of just on their own and feel alone well again it goes back to that when we're fearful well what do we do we naturally contract and hold everything in because that's just a a kind of a subconscious thing that we do almost Mm -hmm. um, in response to kind of survival of the fittest or a fight or flight response when we go into the nervous system and so that fear tension cycle is so important and it goes back to what you said is really empowering women to not even just develop birth plan, but have birth preferences because we can't always control everything, but just knowing what your options are goes such a long way. Yeah, I bet. When you, uh, when you think about seeing women who have given birth, whether it's recently or uh, women who have given birth years ago, what are the most common problems that you're seeing? What are you working with them on? A big one that I hear all the time and people think it's almost like normal, which is not the case, is uh, incontinence. So a lot of it's like, oh, I try jumping on a trampoline or when I cough and I sneeze, as we talked earlier, a little bit comes out. Um, And everyone's like, oh, it happens all the time. But Mm -hmm. there's actually a lot that a pelvic physio can do. And it's the level. So when you think about research, there's different grades of research. And level 1A is the highest level. And it is supported with level 1 evidence that pelvic floor muscle training can help or cure incontinence when it comes to stress urinary incontinence and so that's a super important thing which you know can change your quality of life quite dramatically Um, so that's a very common area which again goes back to coordinating your pelvic floor muscles and learning how to strengthen them Another area which we spoke on briefly was urge incontinence. So that can actually develop as well postpartum. Hmm. Um, And it happens sometimes when there's poor bladder habits um, when it comes to, you know, I'm nursing my kid and I can't go to the washroom and then you're holding it for so long. Oh, interesting. Um, 
yeah, so there's that end of the spectrum. And then with the urge, it's more of, okay, I need to go like every 10, 15 minutes and I'm going all the time. And if I don't go, I'm leaking. So mm-hmm. there's also that end. Postpartum, another common area. And it's kind of a feel like become such a buzzword now. And just there's so much out there is diastasis rectus, which has to do with that linea alba, your connective tissue in the middle of that core region. There's a lot on there of, okay, what are safe exercises? And, oh, I can't do planks. And um, there's so much out there and there's great stuff and there's some not so great stuff but that's a big area that we work through as well and rehabbing to get them back to what their previous level or whatever their functional goals are another big area that tends to come postpartum is prolapse so pelvic organ prolapse Mm -hmm. and so when you think about your pelvis you have your bladder uh, and your rectum and your uterus and so what can happen sometimes after having a child is everything that slings up those organs isn't slinging it up as well as it used to and there can be a variety of reasons as to why that is and you know when it comes to postpartum sometimes it does go away um, and sometimes we need the pelvic floor and and it's a combination and then I see women sometimes in their 50s who know have had it forever and didn't realize we could get it fixed or work on it so that's also another big area and then um, also just returning to intercourse after having a baby you'd be surprising how many women come to me and like oh my husband wants to or my partner wants to have sex and I'm terrified like I just don't know how I can even look down there and so it's working through different strategies and ways to build it back up and things like scar tissue because scar tissue does develop into the vaginal opening in which you had the tearing and maybe had some stitches and so learning a scar tissue massage as well as a variety of different other things Um, so those are some of the common things I see postpartum but like I said there's so many other things out there those are kind of the big ones that kind of stick out to me right off the bat yeah that makes a lot of sense I'm sure there are a million things that you see and we can't talk about all of them but those are great examples when someone comes to see you Leah Can you just walk us through what an appointment looks like with a pelvic floor physiotherapist? I think it's something that seems a little taboo or a little scary for some people. So could you just walk us through what that process is like? Yes. Yes. And that's such a good point because like I said, I get a lot of women who've been like, I've been referred to come see you, but I don't know what you do. And they're all like afraid and scared and like Mm -hmm. have been told different things. And so I think it's so great to kind of break that down as to what a first session can look like. And it really depends on what the client's comfortable with. And there's a lot of things we can do in a first session. And sometimes we just talk and that's all we do. And so the first half is really getting to know the person and the whole story. Uh, When it comes to postpartum, a lot of it is them maybe the first time talking about their their birthing story and just letting that out and that can sometimes lead to tears and it can just be a process in itself which can be quite therapeutic or if it's not even about having a child just getting to know why you're there what is your lifestyle so looking at those five pillars of health um, and really looking at all aspects of their life and how that can potentially be impacting their pelvic floor uh, issues that they're coming in with Mm -hmm. and then the second half of our session we do a physical examination so first we start with just some general movement patterns so looking and how they moving in different positions like forward bending a squat maybe a lunge depending again what they're coming in for looking at sometimes their spine and how they're moving through that region because a lot of times we all love to be in this forward hunched position and that isn't good for the pelvic floor because we're Mm -hmm. not in optimal alignment to get everything recruited and so teaching posture and what is the optimal alignment to activate those muscles because that can play a huge role and and change how things are kind of firing 
And then we move on to looking more in through the pelvic area. So looking how the hips are moving, checking the muscles if there's tightness. Commonly we see through the inner thighs, um, sometimes in through the glutes. So lots of different areas that we look at. And then towards the end, and again, every therapist is a little different and um, it depends. And I think what's important is just being open and having that conversation on the first day. Mm -hmm. And it's really what, what they're comfortable with. Because like I said, a lot of times that's all we do and we stop there and they come back and they're like, wow, that helped so much just to start off. Uh, and then for others, it's looking internally. And so when we talk about an internal examination, again, it's definitely with informed consent and we walk you through what we do before we do it. So it's gloved and we have lubrication and we start externally. So as I talked about that outside layer of the pelvic floor muscles, and so we're looking at the tissues and how they feel. Mm -hmm. And is there pain with light touch, which shouldn't be the case, but sometimes our tissues are just sensitized after some sort of event that happened. And so it's starting there and then working internally, vaginally, and starting to see how does it feel and how can I activate and how can I relax those muscles? And so it's looking at all aspects of that, as well as if we're looking for prolapse, how are the pelvic organs down there? Mm -hmm. And so the first visit kind of can encompass all of that, half of that. It just really depends on what they're there for, what they're comfortable with. And sometimes, like I said, women come and didn't know and are like, I'm just not comfortable today. And that's very okay. And then the next time they come in, they're like, okay, I mentally prepared for this and I'm fine. And I will disclose this because this happens so often where women are like, well, I didn't groom down there. Like we can't do that. There's no need to groom. Like I've seen everything and every public course <laughs> you've seen from like all ends of the spectrum. And honestly, that's, that doesn't matter at all to us. So that's a really common question that I get that honestly, there's no issue from our end. If you're not comfortable, then that's totally fine. It's what, whatever makes you feel comfortable. Because again, if you're not comfortable, then you're going to be feel that kind of pressure and that stress. And that's going to naturally contract your pelvic floor and then yeah. lead to findings that may not be completely accurate, right? Yeah, and so it's kind sure. of building that therapeutic relationship first. There is another thing that I commonly get told like oh we can't do it is when someone's on their period and um you know they're oh, fair enough they're like we can't do it yeah. but actually that makes no difference for us sometimes yeah. it's actually nice to have it internal done during that period because your tissues are in a different state uh, and it, it's natural lubrication so if anything it, it actually won't feel as bad <laughs> which it should never. So I will say that when it comes to an internal, if we are doing one, we never go past any pain. And mm -hmm. so it's working through the tissues at a state that your body is okay with um, and learning if there's a little bit of that pain and discomfort, how do we start from there and not blow through the whole thing? So that's a really important part that I just didn't want to just skip over. So thought I'd mention that too. Yeah. I think the most important thing with any practitioner is just to be upfront about what you're worried about. I've noticed that, that maybe when I was a little bit younger and I went to the doctor or I was getting blood taken or something, I would just not say anything and I would just sit there like in fear. But since I've gotten older, I've just learned like, just say it off the bat and you feel way better. And then that person's yes. demeanor changes and they can just like walk you through it. And suddenly yeah. the experience becomes so much better. So take ownership over the anxieties that you have, no matter who it's with and yeah. be okay with saying it because it makes the whole thing way better, which will only benefit you in the end, obviously. Yeah. Cool. So well said. I couldn't agree more. Let's chat about pelvic floor health for men. So it, this is very much seen as a women's issue. We talk about it a lot with pregnancy and postpartum and sex for women, but tell us about a man's pelvic floor. 
Yeah. So men also have pelvic floor. (laughs) It's not just women. And I feel like initially pelvic floor was like a hush hush thing to begin with. And now it's becoming more known that women should see a pelvic physio at some point in their life. But the same thing applies for men in which I think it's actually more hush hush. And men don't even realize that they should see a pelvic floor physio and have been living with it for so much longer before they're actually told that this might be beneficial. And part of it just comes from the nature of pelvic floor. It's a fairly new area of practice for physiotherapists. And especially with men, there's actually quite limited research and it's just now starting to come out more. And so I think that's a part of the issue Mm -hmm. as well. I personally don't treat men, but I did talk to one of my colleagues to kind of help talk a bit more of things to kind of keep an eye out for, for the men, because it is really important. And like I said, as women, men also have pelvic floors that they need to take care of and kind of flag if there are things going on. So Mm -hmm. it's actually quite similar to women, things with pain. So pain with intercourse or sexual performance in the sense of premature ejaculation, Um, having pain in the testes and the genital region, all those areas are fair game and there's a lot that we can also do. Um, A big part of male pelvic floor that we do see more than other areas has to do with prostate surgery. So when Mm. they get their prostate removed, there's actually a quite a high um, rate of having incontinence. And so it's becoming more well known that if you have a prostate surgery, you should go see a pelvic floor physio. So that's starting to get better. Uh, But with that is prehab, which we do with everything. And so it's about going to see a pelvic physio before your surgery to build the strength up in the muscles to help prevent it from happening. And so that's an important part too when it comes to that area. Um, And then it also goes to incontinence. So men also have incontinence for different reasons. I just named one of them with the prostate surgery, but it can really range in the same way as women too. I was talking to my friend about, you know, I've heard from men saying that, you know, it dribbles a little bit and that's normal. And I was like, is that actually normal? And she says it depends as everything depends, but um, there's an amount that's okay. She calls it the three shake rule. So if it dribbles (laughs) and then after the third shake, it's fine, then I guess that's more so kind of in the normal range but if it's going a bit longer well then okay then then maybe there is something going on that you're not fully emptying as well so anything to do with the bladder anything to do with the bowel anything with pain related or sexual performance that isn't going right those are all things to come see a pelvic floor physio and I always say if you don't know it's better to go and just see someone once and see if it does benefit you there's no harm in it and I guarantee you you will learn at least one thing from seeing a pelvic floor physio and it's it's worth it I don't think there's anything to lose really cool correct me if I'm wrong but isn't it true that pelvic floor physiotherapy is the fastest growing it's either area of physiotherapy or medical field. Like it's one of the fastest growing fields right now. It's just exploding. Yeah. I don't actually know the numbers, but I, I do agree. I think that it's, it's almost become a little bit of a buzzword and that pelvic floor physio has been growing so much in the last, I would say five to 10 years where 10 years ago, there was very few and far between clinicians who did it. And Every year, I seem to know more and more clinicians and clinics that are offering this. So I do completely agree with you. I have no idea what the stats um, as to if that's the highest growing profession or field within physio, but I would say it's definitely a specialized area of physio that's grown a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes down to the fact that it's, it's a conservative approach, highly effective, and wasn't used 15, 20, 30 years ago. And so it's just kind of growing because women and men are like, wow, 
this works. I should be doing this instead of spending thousands of dollars on incontinence pads, right? Yeah. So it's making that investment. Yeah. 100%. It's, uh, it's investing in actually learning about your body and finding what works for you and solving the root of the problem instead of band-aid yes. fixes, which we all love to jump to because they seem easier. But in the long run, it's better to actually address the things, right? Yes, 100%. And it makes a big difference. And you feel a part of that process. So there's so much of that uh, empowerment and feel of success when it comes to kind of doing it in this sense. Um, and it's a super rewarding field I find working in it and I truly do love it. And there is such high success rate to, to some extent and it ranges, but changing that quality of life can be so huge for someone. And it, it, it sometimes it only takes a few sessions. And so it's pretty impressive to see the changes. That's amazing. That's awesome. All right, Leah, I think that's all the questions that I have for you. Do you have any other thoughts or anything to add or, or share with the listeners before we wrap up? When in doubt, see a pelvic physio. <laughs> and there's so many areas that we could go into a lot more depth. So I mean, maybe if the listeners feel that there are certain areas they'd love to dive in more, we could do a part two and I could dive into some of those. I think this was a good just kind of overview of what things we can do and what does it mean to see a pelvic floor physio and what is a pelvic floor. But yeah, I think that's pretty good for today too. I agree. It's been awesome. It's been a great overview and just helping people to get the sense of why might they see a physiotherapist and what they would gain from it, I think is, is really an important message. So thank you. If listeners want to learn more about you, what you do, find you on social media, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, I do have an Instagram account. It's lead physio, so L-E-A-D physio. Um, and I have my email that's attached onto there. So you can always just reach out to me as a direct message or email me. I do work as a clinician at the World of My Baby and it's out of Milton. So if you're interested and want to have a pelvic floor session, I'm more than happy to dive deeper uh, individually and on a session in that sense. And, and I am also doing virtual sessions, which has actually been going quite well. And it's a better outreach to different areas because um, sometimes it's hard to come in certain areas and especially in light of everything with COVID a lot of what we do is education based and I think even just our conversation today you can appreciate there's so much to what we do and it's not just about okay how do I contract that pelvic floor um, and so I'm also available virtually if that's ever something someone's interested in as well. Cool. That's awesome. I never would have thought that could be something you could do virtually. But I think that one thing that COVID has taught us is that many of these services that we thought had to be in person face to face, we can do so much online, we can do so much virtually. And there's still a lot of value that we can add and our reach can be so much larger, right? So even people yes. who aren't in Milton, they can still have a conversation with you um, and a personalized conversation at that, which I think would be very valuable. Yeah, for sure. You said it so well. Exactly. Cool. Awesome, Leah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your time. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate it. And I'm very happy to share more if ever needed or wanted. Absolutely. I would love that. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast this week, guys. I hope that everybody enjoyed that episode. Remember, we release a new episode every Monday morning, so always be on the lookout for those. Make sure that you hit subscribe. I also really appreciate all the ratings and reviews. They really mean a lot to me. Even better, if you have someone in your life that you think would benefit from hearing the messages and the topics that we're discussing in this podcast, please share the show with them and help spread the word about how do you feel. 
If you want to follow along with me and my journey, you can follow me on Instagram at CaseyMZav. Or you can find the podcast website, HowDoYouFeelPodcast.com. That's all I have for you this week, guys. Make sure that you get out there and do something that makes you feel good today.